0: will so be a little, hopefully more proactive than that. So today we're going to talk about a, to- a topic that seems like a given. Oh, I just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but I just have to say Sharon's with us this morning, and it's just so good to see Sharon with us. What a, you think 2020 was a challenge for you? Uh, go sit down and talk to uh, Sharon about her journey over the past uh couple of years, but anyway, it's so good to see you. You look fantastic. Your smile is beautiful as always, as well as yours, Ron, just as handsome as ever. Um, so so this morning is, is an, in some ways pretty straightforward. It's, it's one of the most simplistic ways of understanding prayer, but it is also uh, one that carries a lot of emotional baggage for those of us who were raised in church, because this is also a topic that sometimes has been taught in such a way that a lot of harm has, done, has been done in the way we've approached this particular topic of prayer, which is the prayer of petition. It is met with maybe skepticism, it may be met with cynicism, but what's even worse, if you were ever among the true believers that really put your heart and soul into prayer, and really put yourself on the line, and you read those stories where, where maybe a blind Bartimaeus comes up to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want? Which which is always an interesting thing when Jesus does that because it seems like pretty clear what blind Bartimaeus would want, but but it shows you the power and the necessity and the priority of making a request. So we, even though it may have been obvious to Jesus and everyone around, he still looks to blind Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want? And he says, if you're willing to heal me. And Jesus, of course, says that famous line, your faith has made you well. So we read those and we're so moved, but then there at first glance doesn't seem to be a lot in the Bible about for those of us who like blind Bartimaeus said if you're willing make me whole make me well heal me and our reply seemed to be very different than Bartimaeus than than that of of, uh, Jesus reply to Bartimaeus it seems like we've been told no And that can run the gamut of being frustrating all the way to the gamut of being absolutely devastating for your faith. And some of us who believe too hard to not walk away from the Lord nonetheless close a certain chamber of our heart because it was so painful when we were disappointed even though we prayed the right way and with the right amount of faith and our circumstance didn't change. And in fact, maybe it got worse. Or maybe our circumstances resulted in the very opposite of that for which we prayed. And then it creates all kinds of confusion. And if you just don't believe, it's easier, isn't it? What's really hard is to believe that... Hear the miracle of Adam's testimony of answered prayer while living with the heartache of my unanswered prayer. So... One of the sessions as we wrap up our session on prayer is we are going to talk about the painful mystery of unanswered prayer so, so, so that we typically refer to it. Because if you don't engage with wrestling with that question, then what happens is we either stop praying or our prayers are formalities only. But there's not really any heart of expectation or active trust in God. So we're going to talk about what is on the one hand the most simple understanding of prayer, but on the other hand can be really really one of the more complex questions of those of us of faith. So as we said, our eight-week series in prayer is built around the acronym PRAY pause rejoice ask and yield so we've talked about pause and we've talked about rejoicing today is ask part one we're going to talk about what it means to ask for ourselves that's the prayer of petition and next week we will talk about the prayer of intercession which is where we are asking on behalf of others so so at its most simple and basic definition prayer is asking god for help and intervention prayer is asking god for help and intervention and at that level you really don't have to be a Christian, you really don't even have to be really all that religious at all to perhaps have found yourself uttering those kinds of prayers. Because when humans get desperate, the most natural thing to do is to cry out to God. I don't know if any of you were fans of the writing of Christopher Hitchens. Is anyone familiar with Christopher Hitchens? He was a very uh, prolific writer. He was a very strongly outspoken atheist, and he really thought organized religion did harm. So it wasn't just that he didn't, he, he wasn't like a passive unbeliever. He really felt it was his moral responsibility to confront some of the harm that organized religion has done. And the truth is, although I may not have agreed with his solutions, a lot of his observations were pretty spot on and accurate. But nonetheless, his brother, opposite, very, very devout believer, but Christopher uh, had made a career really out of his persona of this, uh, as this articulate, outspoken atheist. And a few years ago, whenever he had cancer and he was, he was passing away, I, I read one of the last essays that he wrote. Well, it really wasn't an essay. It was some kind of communication piece. But anyway, in it, Uh, It was interesting because he wanted to make sure that everyone knew that after his death, it would be likely that those that were present for his death might have witnessed him crying out to God. And he wanted to rest everyone assured that he did not believe that, that if he in fact did that, it was because he was out of his mind in desperation. Now, that's offensive to some people that someone's already denying his deathbed confession of faith. But setting that aside, what I thought was interesting about that article, because Christopher Hitchens is a really brilliant guy, is just the very fact that he, even in his unbelief, recognized there's a part of our nature that needs to believe that when we get to the most desperate places of our lives, the most natural thing to do is to cry out for God for help. Now, he wanted to preempt and let everyone know that that wasn't sincere, but in my heart, I'm like, I don't know. I think probably he wanted to go out of his way to say it wasn't sincere because maybe deep down it was. It seemed to be too much of a protest, and so I actually have optimism for where Christopher may be today. But even he recognized it's the most natural thing to pray. And even those of you say, well, I don't pray much. I don't pray very well. You can probably think of circumstances when you uttered the prayer, oh, my God, I need your help. And and most of us had that experience. And so at its most basic definition, that's all prayer is. It's asking God for his help and asking God for him to intervene into the time, space, reality, circumstance of my life. So prayer of petition is simply a request for something desired, a request for something desired. So in order to begin to engage in this kind of prayer, this kind of prayer of petition, all that you need is desires You don't have to baptize those desires. You don't have to categorize them. Well, these are good. These are things I can talk to God about. These are bad. These are things I can't talk to God about. That is not the kind of division that a healthy spirituality cultivates. We bring the totality of who we are, even those things we judge as bad, and we bring all of those into the presence of God to process those realities. And so the prayer petition is simply making a request of something you desire. You don't have to justify it. You can even maybe think in your own mind, this really isn't legitimately legitimate for me to ask for, and yet it's still a desire in your heart, and so you bring it into the presence of God because remember, first and foremost, prayer is about the cultivation of relational intimacy with the divine. And so we want to bring the totality of who we are in all of our vulnerability and honesty. And that's the thing about a request. It requires humility and vulnerability on your part. Anytime we make a request, there's three things involved, faith, humility, and vulnerability. Even, even if that request is just a Derek Elliott for something. For one thing, I begin the request with some sort of faith that I think that Derek Elliott might be able to help me. Secondly, I have to have the humility to say I can't do this on my own and I need help with, with solving this issue, Derek And I think that you may have the wisdom or the resources to help me But then thirdly, it requires that vulnerability I might not want to appear weak in front of my friend And yet the request requires me to express my heart in some kind of vulnerability And it's scary because Derek could disappoint me by saying no Because he's not able but he could say no simply because he doesn't want to. Maybe unbeknownst to me, I can't imagine why, he might have an issue with me and might not want to help me. And so and so, all of those things are involved in the most... Basic, anytime we, are, we need to make a request of anyone, it requires faith, humility, and vulnerability. And that is even more so when we come before God. It requires faith, it requires humility, and it requires that level of vulnerability I actually think that the, ultimately that's the power of the request is because of the way it requires that we regularly practice faith, uh, humility, and vulnerability. That's how the transformation takes place in our character. But, but nonetheless, every request requires that, even that of God. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, who is, uh, the, that, which is our model of prayer, You'll notice that petition actually takes up nearly 50% of the prayer. Look at some of the lines of the Lord's Prayer. These are all petitions. Give us our daily bread. Forgive our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. These are all a desire, a request being made of the Almighty. Would you do these things for me? Would you intervene and do these things on my behalf? So this morning, very simply, our outline is this. We want to talk about three um, necessary characteristics and attitudes when it comes to petitionary prayer, and that is you must ask, you must ask in Jesus' name, and you must ask in faith. You must ask, you must ask in Jesus' name, and you must act, ask in faith. So first of all, ask. And I start with this because it seems pretty basic and obvious, but how many of you would say in the course of pursuing Jesus— my heart became tired, and I became disappointed about some of the things I asked about. And so I didn't lose my faith, but I pretty much stopped asking. Thank you for your honesty. Um, now, um, and, and so and so, that was about 50% of the room, and I think maybe the other 50%, at least 25% of that, just didn't raise their hands. Uh, Because that is a common experience. That's what we do. That's not, because in our mind, that's not rebellion. All we're doing is we're protecting ourselves from the painful disappointment that we experienced in the past. And so we just stop asking. We don't talk about it. We just drift into a habit to where I suddenly start living by the fact that I am my own God and my own provider. I really can't trust him for that role. And over time, that begins to slowly, slowly spread like a slow-moving cancer in my soul. And pretty soon, there's a point to which I'm extremely unhealthy because I've walked away from the most basic things thing of what it means to have a God, which is to reach for his help and intervention whenever I need it. The problem with atheists is they don't believe in God. The problem with evangelical Christians is they believe in God, but they live like they don't have a God. And so if you're gonna believe in God, you might as well live like you have one, which means that you can cry out to God to ask him to intervene. So first we ask. Look very simply, Luke 11, 9. So, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I didn't put any authoritative sources because you can use the Google this afternoon. But if you look at the original voice in which these verbs are written, to be honest, it would be more accurate to translate this verse, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and it will be given to you. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Or consider what the wisdom of the Apostle James. James 4.2, you desire and do not have. You murder and coven and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And if you look at the consequences for choosing to live a lifestyle of not asking, look at James 4.2, the consequences actually are quite severe and dramatic. God is willing to answer. The question is, am I willing to ask? Ask for what? There are multiple things. I'm going to leave you with two. Number one, taking our model from the Lord's Prayer, ask God for your daily bread. Ask God for what you daily need. There is lots of uh, understandable speculation that this reference to daily bread in some way would remind the Jewish audience to think about the story of Israel and the collection of the daily manna. And the idea of manna is this. You couldn't collect it In overabundance in order to save it for tomorrow. The principle of manna is you have to trust God in this moment. You have to trust God this day for this day's needs. And so it had to be gathered daily with the exception of the day before the Sabbath where they could store it one day. And so the idea here is that a vibrant life of prayer means I'm asking God about the daily realities of my life. And by daily that means every day. And so I'm asking and seeking God for that daily bread, and I'd certainly believe that can mean physical needs, but I've come to understand that it means beyond that. Ask God for your needs, but ask him for your physical, financial, emotional, relational, or directional needs. I need to know what to do. I need this this emotional lacking in my heart. Sometimes There are many of us that are frustrated with the people in our lives because they are not giving us what we emotionally need. And sometimes what we need to do is to learn to trust God with that. As he's working on them and bringing them where they need to be, we need to be willing to say that the living Christ is real. The love of God is the most transformative power in the universe. And that love can actually fulfill me in ways that I may or may not be opening the door for it to fulfill me and bring healing to some of the wounds in my heart. So we ask God for our daily bread. Secondly, my friends, I wasn't going to put this in here because it's a little controversial, but I'm going to. You have to ask God for miracles. There is just no way to pretend to have in any way an orthodox faith and not believe that God intervenes miraculous. There is no way that we can have any serious honor toward the scriptures and come to the conclusion that God is not interested in intervening in our lives In miraculous ways, the scriptures bear witness to a God who breaks into space and time and acts in answer to prayer. The scriptures bear witness to a God who can even suspend or disrupt the laws of nature in answer to prayer. And I know that that creates just as many questions as it provides inspirations, and I understand that. I have also been sidetracked by those questions, but at the end of the day, it is better to err on, on crying out and trusting God too much than it is to settle into cynicism and skepticism and despair. And so, I don't have all the answers to my questions. I wish that I did. And every time that I hear of praying people experiencing tragedy, I have existential anxiety all over again because it reminds me that in reality, although I trust God, my life is just as vulnerable as theirs. And that scares me most of the time, particularly if it has to do with people's children. But nonetheless, that cannot keep me from asking God to miraculously intervene in my life, on my behalf and on behalf of others. Even if the miracles could be explained away, we still need to ask God for miracles. I, I don't know how this prayer series has been for you, but for me, it really has made some alterations in my life. I am so happy to be back in the place where I'm regularly reaching out and crying out to God to do things well beyond myself. And, and so I already feel like there's been a track record of answered prayer in the past three weeks. And um, and that's not to say that God wasn't active in my life before that, but I'm really connecting the dots in much more clear ways. It seems like there are a lot more coincidences happening now that I'm exercising more faith and engaging God and asking him for things I frankly was afraid to ask him for because of disappointment from the past. So ask for daily bread. Ask him for miracles. Remember James for two, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. No harm can come from asking for more than what God chooses to do. But coveting and violence can result from neglecting to ask God to do what he chooses to do. Error on the side of asking God for the miraculous. Rather than choosing to neglect to bring God into the sphere of your deepest needs. So we ask. We have some, for some of us, it's where we have to start. We have to start the habit of asking again. Because of disappointment, because of unanswered questions, you stopped asking. Ask God. Where do I start? Ask God for your daily needs. And then I would challenge you and encourage you, begin to ask God for the miraculous. I don't know if God acts more or less when I pray, but what I know is I'm much more attuned and aware of his presence and his activity in my life when I'm posturing myself with that attitude. So we ask. Secondly, we ask in Jesus' name. Ask in Jesus' name. John 14, 4. Look at this verse, and it's in your notes, and what's highlighted is the word if. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I, I'll be honest. I mean, as I, this was one of the more encouraging and challenging sermons for me to prepare for. Because it brought up a whole lot of baggage that I still have stored in my heart. One of which being taught that in the name of Jesus is basically a phrase of magical incantation. That if I tack that on to any prayer, it somehow carries a more powerful punch. It was like my Harry Potter wand, you know, it's, have you seen Harry Potter? I, I mean, I think that we're at a place where pastors can admit that they've seen Harry Potter. You know, 20 years ago, I know there would be a meeting after church and I would be fired. Um, we've come a long way, baby. Um, but, uh, you know, in Harry Potter, it's really important that you get the words right. Because if you don't say Diagon Alley and you say diagonally, you may end up in the wrong spot, Right. And so what's weird is those ideas about getting the incantation just right, how much of teachings on prayer plague Christians with that idea. And so it's almost like, okay, Jesus said, say in Jesus' name, so we tack that on at the end, and that's kind of the thing that can kind of guarantee my prayer. Well, if you fall for that because you're 12 years old, by the time you're 12 and a half, you're going to be sorely disappointed with the way God works or with the deficiency of your own faith. Um, because I prayed in Jesus' name for lots of things that did not happen. So it is important for us to wrestle with what, what does this mean? Well, this is not an incantation or a formula. Remember, the, the Bible is not an answer book. It, it, it speaks to marriages and parenting and finances and prayer, but is not about marriaging and parenting and finances and prayer. The book is about the story of God, and in reading the story of God, we learn about his nature, and we learn about principles that we can apply to our lives to respond faithfully to him, but the Bible is not a book to, tr- to, to show you the tricks for getting your answers to prayer. Prayer is always an invitation to relationship. That's why answering prayer is not the main point. It is spending with God, processing the desires and anxiety of my life before the presence of the divine. That's the point. So prayer is always relational. Christ-shaped prayer is relational above all else. The best way to understand this principle is simply to remember it's really not that complicated. In Scripture, name reveals nature. Name reveals nature. This is why Jacob has his name changed to Israel after he has that night of contending with God. And we can list numerous examples of the way in which names represent the nature of something or someone, even down to the name of God, Emmanuel, God with us. So name reveals nature. So when when, when the scripture says, pray in Jesus' name, you might just simply think of it as ask in Jesus' nature. Um, Pete Gregg says this, to pray in the name of Jesus means we are asking for things that are consistent with his character and aligned with his purpose. We are asking things consistent with his character and aligned with his purpose. And the reason why it's important to contend with in Jesus' name is because 90% of my prayers don't begin aligned with his purpose and reflecting his character. Particularly my violent prayers of retribution that luckily God hasn't answered some of yours toward me and so he's also said no to me but but what happens when I'm mindful of that is I come to prayer and and I start with the ugly even if I know my request is illegitimate I'm just bringing before God the reality of where I am in all of my sin in all of my humanity and in much of my brokenness but in that process i'm aware that what the spirit is doing in me is not just taking my list and answering my prayers the spirit is changing me and aligning me with the character of christ and aligning my will with his will so that is what it means that's why we want to pray in jesus name or in jesus nature so we ask we ask in jesus name or in jesus nature and finally the real tricky topic we ask in faith This was hard for me because I grew up in atmospheres that gave as the only reason why a prayer wasn't really answered was simply that when the one praying didn't have enough, didn't have enough faith. It's a really great racket to be honest. You contribute to my ministry while I pray authoritatively for you, but if it doesn't work, it wasn't because of my faith. I can't faith for you. Faith it up, baby, faith it up. Come back again with another contribution and we'll see what happens, right? Uh, But this idea, although I mock it and make jokes about it, I've seen it wreck people. It's debilitating for people to think that my child didn't survive because I lacked the faith to convince God to make it happen. It ruins lives. But we cannot allow abusive and miscontextualized teaching to rob us of the reality that the Bible nonetheless calls us to be people of courageous faith. So when we pray, we ask. We ask in Jesus' name and we ask in faith Look at Mark 10:52. Jesus said to him, I think this is the story of blind Bartimaeus at the end of it. After, after he's healed, Jesus says to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and he began to follow Jesus on the road. I don't want to overemphasize and, and, and make it simplistic, this idea of faith. But at the same time, I don't want to, other, uh, to overlook it, minimize it, and belittle it either. What does Jesus say? Your faith has saved you. Matthew 17, 19, this is when the disciples were trying to cast out a demon from a guy and it did not go well. This is the dialogue, the breakdown afterwards. You know, Jesus comes in and saves the day and then he's got to pull his staff aside and coach them through the trauma. Then his disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For surely I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now again, I understand the tension here even reading this verse. Faith can be confusing because some and sometimes faith has been taught in ways that, has been, that have been harmful. But what we have to understand is we have to re, reframe this idea of faith. Faith is not emotional energy. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was just that if I could muster enough, enough, enough emotion that that would add to my faith and it would cause whatever I wanted to happen to actually happen. And, and, and I don't know if I came up with that on my own or I kind of take, took that away from the culture that I was in, but I thought it had to do with my emotional energy. But faith is not emotional energy. Faith is simply trust. More specifically, faith is, the, is practicing active trust in God. And so what's most important when we talk about faith is to realize this, you can't generate it. What the scriptures teach is that faith is a it's a gift that Jesus gladly gives. Faith is a gift that grows as I follow Christ, as I allow Christ to be the center of my life. This is one of the greatest verses about faith because I really thought, I thought faith came because I read the Bible more. If I read more Bible, then I have more faith. If I pray extra long, then I'll have more faith. If I if I pray, if I listen to the right um, uh, contemporary worship music, in my mind, hymns couldn't add to your faith, but contemporary worship courses could. And so you, you stir up and generate enough faith that I could make things happen. But look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.2. 2, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of, God, right hand of the throne of God. question, as to white would say. Hebrews 2, question. Oh, I'm so saddened by the amount of people that look confused at the reference to the white I'm really failing at my job. But we'll tackle that in another sermon. Um, look at that verse and answer the question who is the originator, the pioneer, and who is the one responsible to perfect your faith? Jesus. Jesus. He is the originator, and he is the perfecter of your faith. Our faith is originated and sustained and perfected by Jesus. Jesus perfects my faith. My responsibility is to keep my eyes on him. Keep my eyes on him. I could get my eyes off of him because I'm fixated on celebrating my answered prayer. I could get my eyes off of him because I'm in cynicism and despair because of unanswered prayer. But neither of those are ultimately where my hope lies. My hope lies in the presence of the living Christ. My goal is not to become a greater man of faith, but a greater man of dependency. That's what the Spirit is after, not to make me a superhero powerhouse of faith but to make me a kneeling, humble, vulnerable man who trusts God with all his being. And my goal isn't to stir up emotion. It is to keep my eyes on Jesus. How could I do that? Well, I can think of two immediately. What was that, Mike? Oh, yeah, very good. You could read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for 100 days and really dive into the mind of Christ and understand the kingdom manifesto that Jesus delivered on the Sermon on the Mount. Great place to start. That was not for me. I'm not bugging you with that. That was Mike May's suggestion. So, the other thing, we already did it because of the intuitive sensitivity to David Delgado. Go use the Google. Print the prayer of St. Patrick. It is one of the most beautiful, well-written, articulate prayers about this prayer wanting to be centered on Christ. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ below, beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my left, and Christ on my right. Christ in the thoughts of everyone who thinks of me, in the ears of everyone who hears me, and in the sight of everyone who sees me. You could do a lot worse than to wake up in the morning, roll over, get on your knees, and just offer up your day by praying the prayer of St. Patrick. Or as Mike said, meditate and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for 100 days. So ask. Ask in Jesus' name, which is to ask in his nature. And ask in faith. And that faith is what is cultivated and grows from a life that is centered and focused on Christ. So in conclusion, how do we respond? Well, we ask God for what we need. We ask God for what we want. We ask God to do what only he can do. Now, for some of you, you might send me an email full of joy at some miraculous intervention that you've experienced. But for others of you, you may be asked to trust God more because that miracle didn't happen in the way that you can perceive it. And so you celebrate the yes, you trust God with the no, and you wrestle with the tension between the two. You don't ignore it. You don't pretend it's not there because what God wants to do in you may require you wrestling with that tension. It might require you being honest and wrestling with your disappointment, your cynicism, your anger, your rage at the unfairness of God's mercy. I certainly have felt that way many times, but I don't get healed from it when I try to be pious and pretend like it's not there. It's only when I bring that out and I wrestle with the tension of the yes and the no. Now, I'm 50, so... God spared me a lot of unhappy marriages in my youth by saying no to a lot of the prayers that I prayed. Okay, at the time it didn't seem fair. Now it seems like, okay, awesome. And so so, so we have a lot of those things. The truth of the matter is it's very liberating to know God says no. I mean, think about your own life. What if God said yes to every prayer that you prayed? My life would be worse, not better, if that were the case. So at this point, the fact that God will say no is deeply comforting to me because he knows he's wiser than I am. But you celebrate the yeses. You trust him with the nos, but you take time to wrestle with the tension between the two because if you don't, you'll stop pursuing God in prayer. You will it will it won't happen overnight, but slowly, subtly, you will start to close a certain part of your heart you'll block it off and say, the Holy Spirit, you're not allowed there because you disappointed me. I back away from prayer as a way of protecting me from disappointment. That is usually my core motive whenever I am praying less. But fear of disappointment is not a reason for not living. And it's not a reason for not praying. So we, we press into it. So, Um, Would you all stand as the worship team comes up for communion? And we're just going to take a minute to practice this. Now, I put questions for reflections. Those are for community group discussions. But if you're not in a community group, I would encourage you to get your journal out and write out answers to these questions as a way of really kind of internalizing the ideas we talked about this morning. But right now, we'll internalize them by practicing it. So let us all close our eyes. If you are comfortable, I would ask you just to simply lift your uh, hands, palms up, kind of with your midsection. And all of this is, is a way of praying physically, not verbally, because it's saying in this posture, Lord, I'm open, I'm open. I may be skeptical, I may be hurt and bitter, I may be cynical, but I wanna be open so this is very simple ask God for what you need ask him for your daily bread might be emotional might be financial might be his direction it might be a sliver of light in the dark room of despair in which you've been hiding but ask God for what you need Lord, I need wisdom to navigate the complexities that surround me. I need confidence, not in myself, but in you and in your grace and in your love. I need to do better at believing that you want to intervene in the details of my life. Ask God for what you want and ask it big. Don't hold back. Ask him even if it's for the thousandth time to deliver you from that addiction. Ask him to actually make you a patient person even though you know you have an issue with anger. him for reconciliation in that relationship that you fear is too far gone. What do you want that only God can do? You know you don't have the resources to accomplish it on your own. Ask him. time of petition by simply saying thank you thank you for the yes thank you for the no thank you for the appearances of no's even when they're not in the tension between the two we may not feel we have faith but we do have trust And we will actively trust you. Amen. On the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and said, this is my blood of the new covenant.